being able to breathe in certain positions like that will unlock range of motion so fast and be long lasting. When people are stretching, I feel like the real benefit is coming from the breath aspect of it. You can go a couple of weeks without food. You can go, I don't know, maybe a couple of days without water. You can go minutes without breathing before something terrible happens. Welcome to Gut Check Radio, the health and wellness podcast giving you the confidence to trust in your gut. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Belden, a board-certified chiropractic physician and functional medicine practitioner. And just for those of you who are aware, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only and are not intended to diagnose or treat any condition and do not apply any of this information you hear in this podcast without first speaking with your physician. There isn't. And, uh, and both, it's liberating and it makes things proportionally difficult for someone like me who, uh, like I said, before, right before we started recording, uh, my favorite subject being math and like you give me a just a wild equation solve for x i'll get x um but in english class you give me an open-ended prompt and there is no right or wrong answer i i just freak out i freeze um so yeah along this theme like we were just talking about there isn't a right or wrong way to go about these and uh yeah i'm just excited to just have a conversation like you pointed out, and we just chose this this topic this morning, and yeah, here we go with it. So I'm excited to just kind of see what happens. Yeah, and I think a, a beautiful segue would be, you know, if someone was say they were struggling with hip pain or they were struggling with their hip range of motion, they feel like they couldn't squat well, and they're given a multiple choice question, and the answers A through D are stretching is one strengthening is another breathing is another and stabilizing is another. And so Vic in your world or in your mind, so you have a through D would your, would the right answer to you be C and D a and D B and you see what I mean? Like which pairing would you tend to lean more toward? Yeah. I mean, truly uh, if I was being honest and zooming out, I would say E all of the above. If I had to choose between two, it would be breathing and stabilization, but you can't really discard stretching, you can't discard strengthening, which to me is increasingly interesting as a concept. Uh, I've talked to a mentor of mine, he practices a lot of DNS. And when you get into like the experience of being strong, and I think I've talked to you about this before, we reduce being strong to, I can produce a high amount of force. Like we quantify it and that's it. But if you squat, let's say 315 today, and then you squat 315 tomorrow, you outputted the same force, but it, it might have felt way more difficult on day two than day one or vice versa. Person, yep. Point being the feeling and the experience of being strong is different than just quantifying it. And that's like a whole thing. That's kind of where my head's at with strengthening is like, it still is not just limited to, Hey, you can like an output number output. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I, when I get down to it, I was thinking about this last night actually, which worked out uh, for the podcast that ultimately it comes down to survival in my mind and you can go, I don't know, you'd correct me if I'm wrong. You can go a couple of weeks without food. 
depending on body fat stores. You can go months, yeah, how much body fat you have, yeah, yeah. That's still insane to me. You can go, I don't know, maybe a couple of days without water, maybe. And, I mean, really, you can go, like, two days without sleep before something terrible starts to happen. You can go minutes without breathing before something terrible happens. So this exchange of O2, CO2, respiration on all levels of the body is going to be the most important to survival. So when we blend that with movement, your brain's not going to care about, I mean, it. it's on the priority list, being strong, trusting this range of motion, et cetera, that a lot of people talk about. But I mean, being able to breathe in certain positions like that will unlock range of motion so fast and be long lasting, which to me is circling back to this is super, super important for the brain and it's tied to survival. Like it's, it's really all there is to it. So breathing, how you breathe and PRI. And I, I know DNS would agree how you breathe is how you stabilize. And that is, I mean, 22,000 breaths a day. That's how you stay in constant activation of these deeper muscles that both systems talk about and so whether i'm centrated or like in this weird awkward non-neutral position that's there's kind of like a deeper layer of posture i guess that being able to breathe fully and stabilize properly allows you to be in these positions without overloading a structure i guess so I think, yeah, breathing and stability blows the other two out of the water, but they're all related. And I think stretching, I really think strengthening, I mean, it's super effective. There's so many positives to it, but it tends to be kind of a cop out and kind of a lazy answer in my mind with your viewing mechanics and all these other aspects of breathing and PRI talks about it. It's a neurorespiratory approach. Like there's so much there. It's just insane. And like when you're talking about strengthening, it's like, oh, well, your low back hurts. Well, just get stronger. Like just go squat or just go deadlift without really. And you might get into technique and some like basic things, but are you really concerned with kind of the nitty gritty details of, of the mechanics and stuff? And I would totally agree that there is a bad side to doing that. You can paralyze someone, not literally, well, maybe just in a different sense, um, from moving and being okay with moving in various ways by hyper-focusing on, are you doing this correctly or not? Um, <clears throat> as much as I love mechanics and breathing and all this stuff, I do get a lot of people that it kind of makes me take a step back and zoom out. In clinic when they're like oh well i was at work and i was really focusing on how i was doing this i was like dang like that's not the goal even if you are focusing on mechanics during a portion of your day working on it and increasing range of motion the goal to me is still the liberation of unconscious movement at some like the rest of your day i do pri and i do dns i think about my movement and my body with for that 30 minutes or whatever i'm working on it so that I don't have to the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. I think that's so, important for people to understand because they probably feel as though 
that they do have to put in all this awareness, effort, energy into, oh, up, upright spine. Okay. Breathe through the diaphragm. Okay. Breathe outside of the ribs. <laughs> but I think it's maybe important for us to start unpacking because there's a lot we can unpack with that. Breathing. So what I like to contrast to is yoga. And maybe you've used this example before, but I like to think part of the reason that yoga is so beneficial is the breathing aspect associated with the range of motion. So if you just had the range of motion aspect, or excuse me, you wouldn't have the range of motion aspect without the breathing. Yes, I would agree with that. So it's when people are stretching, I feel like the real benefit is coming from the breath aspect of it. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, to me, walking is breathing, movement is breathing. Now we can, because of PRI, you can talk about a shoulder position as an inhaled or exhaled shoulder or inhaled or exhaled elbow or wrist or cranium, foot. Like that doesn't really make sense on the surface when you talk about my foot's not breathing, my calves aren't breathing. But when you again look at it through that lens and then you look at mechanics it's like oh it starts to make sense that i'm using my calves to take a breath in and probably out as well and to your point and kind of what i was saying earlier the breathing aspect uh i kind of i use the i like the analogy of a pump like it's really an, a pump from the inside out when you're talking about the diaphragm the lungs uh, the abdominal viscera, the pelvis, there's this inside out expansion that happens when you take a breath in and that will unlock range of motion when you're in whatever position you're in, you have to be able to expand the breath into certain parts of your body to even be able to move your limb, your shoulder, your hip, whatever it is in these crazy positions. I mean, when you're just kind of stretching and just kind of tugging on muscles and you really feel an intense stretch, what that really is, is actually your muscle contracting. That's what a stretch is. So when you go down and touch your toes, you're like, oh, my hamstrings, I mean, let's say the sciatic nerve doesn't exist for a second and you feel it in your hamstrings, then that's actually your muscles grabbing on and contracting. And they're just in a different position, but it's no different than doing like a hamstring curl because mm -hmm it's still squeezing. So there's, it, there's a resistance there. And I mean, between PRI and DNS, nothing else makes sense to me to allow your brain to trust range of motion and to, to take the brakes off of those muscles than having that inside out stability and expansion. And that's what really lets muscles go in my mind, again, tying back survival. And then to what you were pointing out with yoga, these different positions plus the breathing you're just you're locking in i want this range of motion i want to be able to access this oh i can survive here not just force my way by trying to strengthen all these different ranges that's a very forceful approach that again it's on the priority list but it's not as high as breathing and it never will be so yeah, to really circle back to your question more directly, I think the breathing aspect of yoga definitely locks these ranges of motion in to be able to access them later on. I like your hamstring analogy because I remember from graduate school, when we went to those rehab to performance seminars early on. 
and they would do the demonstration where they would have someone try and touch their toes who had not great hip or not great hamstring flexibility. And then they would work on breathing while they were lying on their back for 30 seconds and they could touch their toes. So mm-hmm. they, they didn't do any stretching for their hamstrings. They literally just laid down and worked on breathing and they were able to get greater range of motion. To me, that was the the light bulb that went, wow, okay, uh, tell me more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things going on. And I mean, one of them, again, let just like basic mechanics with the, the rib cage and pelvis position when you go down to your toes, your entire spine needs to be able to flex. Um, and then obviously you need to be able to posturally tilt your pelvis. And if you're not able to breathe into your low back and into your rib cage, that's not going to happen. You're going to get a very flat lumbar spine. Someone might be able to actually palm the floor in that position. And that's a whole other thing. Uh, but there's not this evenly distributed flexion, basically. And then you do do that. And then you get someone to do the breathing. Those muscles let go very fast, like I, we were talking about earlier. And it's long lasting because you're able to breathe into that area. All of a sudden, you have a shared flexion across the spine, the hips, et cetera. And then you're able to touch your toes and access this range of motion rather quickly because you tapped into oh, I can breathe in these areas of my body, I can survive here while I'm in this shape, then here you go. Your brain's like, here you go. I, you can survive here. I'm going to let you have it. But, and there's other protective mechanisms of like not trying to, your brain doesn't want muscles to rip and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, I that's a, it's a really good example of how powerful it is in a couple of breaths and i actually was just talking to a mentor today skip george he teaches for pri and i mean we were just talking about how powerful it is to do two sets of like three breaths and for me i'm in like a pretty straight chiropractic practice right now i would say and anyone who's in this like gonstead or diversified like old school chiropractic should totally look at pri because one you're gonna work way less you're gonna have way less effort to adjust a lot of people if you are a high volume practice and someone who comes in and they're just so so locked up whether it's their neck reverse cervical curve their low back just does they just don't rotate they roll like a brick across their table when you try a side posture you do two sets of three breathing and it's going to move much easier almost guarantee that and obviously it's case to case or case by case, but, uh, yeah, it's just so, so potent, uh, to work on that. Even if it's two sets of three, like you were alluding to, and then you get someone to touch their toes and it unlocks all this range of motion or, uh, more applicably to practice with adjusting as well. And like tying all these other modalities together, you do some breathing and then you adjust and then you go back and do some DNS and stabilization work or what motor control stuff. I mean, you're helping a lot of people doing that. You've opened up range of motion. You blew it up with a with an adjustment, and then you're stabilizing that. It just blows my mind how powerful just the adjustment is. Like I have people who sleep better. I had a guy yesterday came in, slept the best he has in a long time. Is it nerve flow and autonomics and 
I don't know. Maybe that was part of it because he was in pain and we decreased the pain and blah, blah, blah. But there's so many other factors that were changing by just one input. You add multiple with the breathing, the adjusting and the stability. And then we get into what you're doing with functional medicine and optimizing their internal environment as far as hormones and gut health. And I mean, good Lord, you're literally, you're changing something. I mean, that's, that's a multi, that's a multiple thousand dollar program to be a part of in my mind. Yeah. Your multi, multi systems are being affected rather than, you know, the way we study different interventions, namely pharmaceuticals is very linear, very one pathway, one mechanism where like you just said, sometimes the things the inputs we're giving affect every output. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think that's, I can attest to the idea that breathing can unlock so much because I've started doing that for a couple minutes as part of my warm up, and it easily decreases how long I spend warming up, which has been so huge for me. And if you're a huge gym goer out there, I would invite you to experiment with breathing in your warm up because you won't have to spend 15 minutes opening up every shoulder, hip, knee, ankle, 10 minutes on the assault bike. You can sort of five to seven minutes, get prepped, get ready, and get going. I want to transition a little bit to stability because we, we talked a lot about breath. From my understanding, and you talked about the ability to produce force earlier. Is stability the ability to resist force? Is that how you, that how you would put it? Oh, I don't know if anyone has a definition yet. <laughs> mm. I The ability to actually stay still with minimal muscular effort. If mm. I had to describe it, and I guess maybe that is also a definition and of course it is dynamic. So there's this weird, I don't know, maybe it becomes nebulous because of that. It's still dynamic, but if someone's just standing there um, and they're in anterior pelvic tilt, ribs up, blah, 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 they could stay still, not as still as someone with their rib cage stacked over their pelvis, how it's supposed to be. And they're also using a ton, a ton of muscular effort just to stand there if you're in that open scissor rib cage flare position. So the a huge differentiator in my mind of being stable versus unstable is the muscular effort required to do so. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, I would say also, yeah, the, that context of being able to stay still and maybe it does come down to resisting, resisting movement uh, ultimately, because that, that also encompasses a dynamic and a static movement or position. So yeah, I would say at least a qualifier would be minimal muscular effort. And yeah, maybe it does come down to, to resisting unwanted movement is probably the best definition. I think Dr. Richard Ulm, uh, gave that definition a while ago. And all, I mean, to me, I don't have a, another, a better way to describe it as you now, but, um, but yeah. And then when you look at DNS and when they talk about stability and when I combine that with PRI and increasing range of motion through expansion, that's that inside out pressure, that inside out force of the breath working with all of these eccentric muscles and distributing the workload across the entire body. Now you don't have just a single muscle like your external rotators, your shoulder or your pec or whatever working to do whatever movement or, 
yeah or position they're all like every it's just distributed across the entire body and it's easy to talk about way more difficult to experience but once you do it's very convincing evidence that it's a very it's a real phenomenon and we could sit and argue a hundred times over with people and i'm at that point where i'm like words only go so far and you just have to feel it and you know it's real and that's i talked to that mark mcgrath guy i think i mentioned him a while ago australian guy practiced a lot of dns and it comes down to me at this point denying my own experience and maybe I can't define it with words or I can't find it in PubMed or whatever, but I know it's real and I've seen it and I replicate it hundreds of times on patients. And so, yeah, I don't know if we always have to have a definition either. True. Uh, but uh, that's kind of a roundabout way of answering your question and saying I don't have a super great definition for stability, but I would definitely challenge people, one, to, like you said, try some of the breathing and feel it for yourself. You, you, you already said it that you don't have to spend as much time warming up for a mobility range of motion standpoint. Maybe you do for body temperature, nervous system stuff, hormones, all this other, all these other things that happen, physio physiological aspects. But as far as improving range of motion and feeling loose enough to access positions and fluid movement, you do a couple sets of breathing and you fit your entire body as opposed to let me warm up my shoulders, now my hips, now my ankles. It's like three sets of five, 90-90 breathing, PRI style. You hit your entire body in that one exercise. That's it. So um, and that's where I think stability really shines too, is that you keep that, whether you're doing that exercise and then moving forward in those different movements um, outside of that exercise or that drill, you're staying stable and then your brain keeps those ranges of motion, whether you continue to work on it or not. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I know I didn't, I didn't do a great job of answering your original question, but, uh, that was my way of blabbering and saying, I don't have a great definition for it. <laughs> he arrived at his answer to talk around what he really wanted to. Exactly. Wanted to but I think, you know, so let's contrast two exercises here. Let's, let's make it practical. A bicep curl, so a single joint dumbbell bicep curl, which most people would think of as using one muscle and maybe doesn't require much stability or range of motion, but you can correct me on that, versus a kettlebell bottoms under press, right? So not only requires the range of motion to go overhead, but you need the stability for using that term in this, in this, in this vernacular, you need the stability because the kettlebells flipped. So the weight is now coming down because you're hold, you're pressing it from the handle upward. And so you're, you're challenging stability, range of motion, et cetera. So if you can sort of compare and contrast those two exercises as a way to demonstrate stability. Yeah. I don't know like all the physics and like talking about surface area and pressures and all of that stuff. Obviously, I mean, everyone would feel this immediately as soon as they tried it curling a dumbbell you're not shaking there's not this perturbation uh of the weight of the dumbbell doing a bicep curl like there is if you're doing that overhead bottoms up kettlebell press so in that scenario yeah i would say that there is more stability required why exactly that is i don't know um i'm sure it's going to be a terribly 
difficult conversation to have with somebody, but I would say, so on the bicep curl, there's, there's still stability required in the sense if the, let's, if you're the, if the weight of the dumbbell, if the resistance of the dumbbell is greater than your ability to generate intra-abdominal pressure and anchor your rib cage to your pelvis, your shoulder blade will actually kind of wing or dip forward. You see it when like someone starts to the same shoulder blade position as if you're doing, um, let's say max effort pull-ups and you're at rep 10, 11, 12, and your shoulder blade starts to do one of those numbers. That same movement is going to happen where the bottom portion of your scapula comes off or shoulder blade comes off of your rib cage. That will also happen in a bicep curl if the weight is greater than the serratus anterior's ability to stabilize that bottom portion of the shoulder blade, which really comes down to this core control, intra-abdominal pressure, back to the breathing discussion. So there's also, there is a stability component there. And then with the overhead kettlebell press, in my mind, well, one, if you aren't stable slash can't breathe in these positions, you won't even be able to access that range of motion. That's usually a pretty uh, serious range of motion for people, for people to get without compensation. But you, like I said, you do have, even if you just flipped the kettlebell around where it's laying on your wrist and your overhead pressing, the stability requirements are much less than if it's bottoms up. So even with that overhead press, I would say you need more stability probably because it's end range, shoulder range of motion, and you need muscles to work a little bit harder to stabilize in that position from a neurological standpoint. You need muscles to relax more so that you can even access that position, which again require, which is a, stability is a prerequisite for that. And then add the component of the kettlebell being bottoms up. Again, there's probably something about surface area and where the load is and where the moment arm and physics, hashtag physics, pretty much. Because uh, physics. <laughs> exactly. So there's that component too. So, I mean, yeah, I would say that the, the overhead kettlebell press requires more stability, but the bicep curl still requires some um but yeah, not nearly as much, not nearly as much. Mm, yeah. And I like how you gave us, hopefully the, for those of us listening, the visual of if your shoulder starts to become internally rotated on the bicep curl, that's sort of an indication. Is that an indication for people that maybe they need to lower the load and they're compromising some stability elements? I would. Yeah. If you're working, if you're concerned with stability and posture, then Yes. But just lowering the load, waiting until you're strong enough and then going back and then working your way back up and to me wouldn't fix the root cause. You would still True. have to be able to breathe mm -hmm. into those spaces and work on, uh, God forbid, someone used the word posture like I do. So working on posture and stability and then go back and do your bicep curl, this underlying foundation for movement is so much more set so that you, when you do your bicep curl, let's say it's the same weight, it's going to feel much easier because again, the load is distributed and all these other things and, and et cetera. I'm sure it's the same with 
with what you do with gut health, like you lay this foundation of ideal gut or ideal gut health. And then you go out and live your life. And now you can tolerate all these different foods. It's kind of the same thing to me. Like you work on this foundation and then you can start to kind of push the boundaries, but it's not until those foundational things were there. And I mean, if you're walking around and your ribs are flared and all these other postural distortions, when I talk about, maybe they're not pathologies, maybe they don't hundred percent cause pain when it comes to movement and pure function it's absolutely a real thing that needs to be set. And then you go do your movements and they're just, they're easier. They're always, they will always be easier. And again, same thing I would imagine with the gut health aspect with what you do, you get better sleep, reduce stress, have life purpose, and your gut is so much healthier. Now you can go out to eat with your friends or go have a beer, stay up a little bit later and you're not wrecked the next day. Like you would have been, without that foundation. Mm. You heard it here at first, folks. Vic said we can get objectively stronger without directly training strength. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would stand by that statement. Actually, I was, it was fascinating. I did. I kind of did like a little experiment this month. Uh, I just I did not go to the gym, which wasn't hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go to the gym. I did a decent amount of PRI and a decent amount of DNS. And actually it was a couple of days ago, I did a bunch of push-ups and kind of retested my strength and I lost a little bit, not much. This was like three weeks of not going to gym at all. I lost a very, very little amount after terrible sleep pretty much for the last week. So I would argue I probably lost almost no strength. And when I went and did my push-ups in the next day or two, I was sore but not even close to how I used to be. And I attribute that to, again, more of the load being distributed across more tissues as opposed to only, let's say, with the push-ups, my pecs, my triceps, my anterior delts doing all of the work. I was actually not sore in my pecs. I was actually sore in my serratus anterior, which you don't ever hear of uh, when someone's just doing push-ups in my mind. So, yeah, I mean, I've felt it many times and i mean i i just did that experiment this month and i really didn't lose any strength and i was i would say sore in different muscles and way less sore in the muscles that i usually am sore in so to me that just speaks to what we were talking about and what i was describing earlier like the load is clearly being distributed differently mm. without working on the push-up i was breathing and opening up ranges of motion and then working on joint centration and my posture as dns describes it and yeah i mean it's the carryover is there it's very real and i know a lot of people will say like oh maybe exercise is body weight rolling around there's this huge gap between that and squatting or deadlifting or bench pressing or pull-ups and i agree like there's clearly a load difference but Again, you set that postural foundation and there is, there's not real, there is no difference there. And there is a hundred, it's the same body that's going to carry over. And I would, yeah, I would definitely challenge anyone who, if someone does challenge that idea to feel it for yourself and work on it. And I would say for a long time, it probably would behoove someone to get a spotter, especially when it comes to DNS. Uh, it's really, really tough uh, to work on that, but, but yeah definitely 
have seen and felt the carryover. And I'm excited to keep working with people uh, more in clinic now that I have my own experience and my own confidence. I can just do it and see it. And over and over, people, I'm sure, are going to be like, oh, this movement's better, that movement's better. And we won't be working on the movement. We'll be working on the parts and the underlying stability focus. So I'm I'm super stoked about that. That's beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good way to 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 segue out of it. And you know, Vic, if people want to learn more about this approach, your approach, where do you recommend they go first? Like you said, do you recommend that they try any of it on their own before they get a spotter? Yeah, I mean, there's probably some really good YouTube videos. Um, Ian Markow is someone that comes to mind. Probably has a bunch of stuff on YouTube and Instagram for like beginner breath work stuff. Um, I work with people online. So if anyone wanted to reach out about that, I could walk someone through that. Some of the basic breathing stuff. My Instagram, just my first underscore last name. And then of course, both the postural restoration institute.com and then rehab PS, which is the DNS website. They have a bunch of resources on there to kind of explore the intellectual aspect of this all. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're not, you're really not going to hurt yourself trying some of the low level breathing stuff. Worst case is you just don't get any results. So yeah, I would encourage people to try it and you can search on my Instagram. You can probably find other people's Instagrams through mine. And then I would say those two websites, PRI and DNS um, would be huge to start exploring some of those concepts. I love it. And we'll put all that information in the show notes for people. And Vic, I thank you for your time. And for those listeners who have enjoyed the series with Vic and I together, we are going to continue to discuss some of these larger topics in health and these gut check moments of deciding, Hey, do I strengthen? Do I work on breathing stabilization? And so in the coming weeks, we'll gut check moment around salt intake, cholesterol, blood sugar things. So we'll continue to try and give people try and give you all a little bit of a framework for understanding these seemingly very complex topics thank you all for trusting me to be a part of your day if you enjoyed the show and found it informative or entertaining we invite you to share the love by leaving a five-star rating review on your podcast platform of choice or by sharing this episode with your family and friends and until next time trust in your gut <laughs>